Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is Nostalgia, in which we'll discuss what nostalgia is and how we see it presented and contemplated through Star Trek. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live show on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. T, what a great duo of episodes to watch right after last week's For the Love of Trek with the homages. Both Relics and Trial and Tribulations were clearly made with a lot of love for the original series and both touched on nostalgia in different ways. Can you tell us how Star Trek examined and perhaps experienced nostalgia through the years and then let us know why you chose these episodes in particular? You bet. And thank you, Victoria. Star Trek got its start back in 1969 and has been delivering original sci-fi science fiction content ever since leaving us with a wonderfully rich history of how we saw ourselves through the eyes of some of our favorite characters. It gave rise to tropes that today are commonplace. The space opera itself, the crew of the ship, and all the roles that they fill, the mission-focused episodes exploring strange new worlds and seeking out new life and new civilizations, boldly going where no one had gone before. These traditions had been carried forward so strongly that when a new Star Trek comes out, in many ways it's measured by the presence or lack of these tropes. It's also highly systematic and pays careful attention to continuity with critical rules having been laid down and cautiously broken. The Klingons have cloaking technology, unless of course the humans steal it from them. The Romulans are treacherous, and the Vulcans are logical. It's within this structure that all Star Trek must play, and each variation interprets these rules a little differently. But on rare occasion, an episode becomes more keenly self-aware and brings new life to a nostalgic story. This happens a few times when Data and Moriarty bring back classic Sherlock Holmes vibes. But in these two episodes, the writers decided to take a careful look at the past and remind us of how things used to be. The use of a fondly remembered set of characters as a way to pull on a heartstring is of course nothing new. But when it's executed unexpectedly, and with the precision, it has a way of, of leaving a beautiful resonance behind, one that makes you pine for a time that had long gone past, one where you used to watch Star Trek and take away something you still carry with you all these years later. And so, in the spirit of nostalgia, I chose these shows to help us remember how do the writers of Star Trek see their own past. Thanks, T. 
Um, let's start with relics. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it, what the story was about? And then I'll put the question to you. Definitely. Relics. From Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 4, first aired on the 12th of October in 1992. In this episode, the Enterprise discovers a ship that crashed on a Dyson Sphere more than 75 years prior, with a single survivor suspended in the transport buffer, Captain Montgomery Scott. I chose this episode because Scotty, you can't get more nostalgic than Scotty showing up and taking us back to the bridge of the NCC-1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. It was a surprise when he showed up then, and it was a delight to converse with him about a century gone by. <laughs> Thanks, T. Yeah, no bloody A, B, C, D. That's great. As some of the crew know, we had scheduled this topic of nostalgia for about a month ago and had to reschedule, giving us a second opportunity for a watch party. And both these episodes, Relics and the one we're going to talk about next, um, are worthy of multiple viewings. Of course, there were funny bits and awkward bits in this episode, uh, especially some of the conversations between Scotty and Jordy. But the scene that struck me most with respect to today's topic of nostalgia was the scene in which Scotty went back to the holodeck to visit the bridge of his enterprise. He wasn't just reminiscing, he was feeling nostalgic. He was experiencing a longing for the past. This was prompted at least in part by feeling out of touch on Picard's enterprise and with the crew and feeling useless in some way. There was a sadness associated with his experience as if life was better in the old days. There are times when I've enjoyed reminiscing and then feelings of nostalgia arise in me. And I know that in some way, I become both author and audience of this edited version of that story. I know my memories can be flawed and that often very good times are in reality balanced with stressful times. Yet when the feeling of nostalgia arises, I experience a physical sense of homesickness that no amount of logic or reason of the realities of the time or how good life is now can cure. So my question to you <laughs> is what is something for which you feel nostalgic and how do you lift yourself out of the sadness or the yearning for that time? Well, I think that, you know, especially when it comes to Star Trek, the experience of a new Star Trek movie coming out, you know, getting all your friends together, going to the movies, it, it didn't seem to matter that the, the movie theater was gross, that the, the seats were all, you know, covered in, in soda and the floor was sticky and there was popcorn everywhere. It didn't matter that, the, you know, there was, there was, you had to wait the weight didn't seem that bad sitting half hour, 45 seats doing nothing, talking to your friends just kind of flew by, right? These didn't seem like, like bad things at the time or, you know, and, and looking back on it now, I think I'd probably be annoyed, but I was still very nostalgic for that experience of, of plopping down, you know, three, four, five friends deep and in a movie theater row. And, um, and seeing that new Star Trek, seeing that new, 
you know, whatever it is that's coming out or, or having my dad, you know, say, Hey, check this out. And, you know, there's this new thing called Star Trek, the next generation and making a Thursday night out of that. Right. That was, a, that was the thing that we did on Thursdays was we watched the next generation when it came out. Um, I, I really think that that experience sort of got a, a little lost in a lot of ways, the watch party of bringing people together, especially with the, with the pandemic, you know, um, but I think that the ways that, that I combat that is, you know, hosting watch parties. I have found that watch parties really do bring back the critical parts of it while helping to sort of streamline the, the less effective parts of it. Um, and so, and, and, you know, big hats off to Steve for, for hosting our watch parties, for doing all of this, because our watch parties are, are tip top, you know, and Steve is always on point with the, with the schedule and makes it happen every time. Um, but bringing back the crew, bringing back the, the people and, and the discussion and having people all see it and all react to the first time and all, you know, be on the same page and discussing it and, and, that was, uh, for, for me, that was something that I felt, you know, sort of got lost for me there for a long time. And I was very nostalgic of going to the movie theater, getting the whole crew up and at them. And, and I think that just, you know, that would be the way that I, that I try and get around that. And I think it works, works pretty well. So all, all that to say, uh, show up for our watch parties because they're awesome. Yeah, really nice plug there, T. Well done. Smooth operator. <laughs> well, uh, let's start bringing some people up here and see if uh, they want to talk about what makes them feel nostalgic and how they uh, balance that. And next week, it's very interesting because this question kind of leads into next week in some way, because I was just about to say, you know, there's some expectation or memory versus reality. And next week's episode is, is going to be expectations versus reality. But with this, it's the, the feeling of nostalgia, um, this longing for a time that's happened in the past. And then, you know, I can sit there and say to myself, well, you know, let's just take movies, for example. Uh, you know, I've been to lots of dive theaters and, and at the time was grossed out right? But I went because it was a midnight showing of, of, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show or something like that. And the wait for it to start was, you know, sitting there being bored or whatever. Um, but I don't really remember those things. I mean, I'm remembering them now because we we're talking about them. But when we, when we talk about, oh, remember that time that, you know, we went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show and it was the last film that was, you know, screened at this particular theater before it was torn down and all of that stuff. We don't talk about the bad times and and this is the difference though between reminiscing and and nostalgia is i sit there and i long for that time and yet it is this edited version completely in some way the homesickness it feels unreal right because i'm i'm not really remembering accurately i'm authoring this that this is a like, I just wonder, is nostalgia a longing for a past that didn't really happen, right? And I'm, I'm wondering if other people uh, might experience that as well. So I'm hoping some of these great storytellers will come up and share with us. Hey, Gaspar, how are you today? I'm good. How about you? 
I'm pretty good, pretty good. So do you want to answer the question, what is something for which you feel nostalgic? And how do you, if you do, lift yourself out of that sadness or the yearning for that time? Um, well, so I guess there are a handful of things. Um, there's the the people in my life that I care about, uh, you know, like I have a bunch of siblings and many of them have changed. Some of them have changed maybe for the worse into people that I don't recognize. Others have moved away. And so w when they're your tribe or your little, your group of best friends, then, you know, you have to like reorient yourself in life. But also, um, let's see, a lot of these changes don't happen all at once. They sort of creep up and, and over time you realize things are just not the way that they were. And so there's that, there's the people in your life changing and, and, and causing you to remember how things were. Um, and maybe the best example of that is uh, I have a daughter who's a teenager and kids change so quickly um, and it doesn't seem like very long ago that she was a, an innocent little toddler and now she's growing into a teenager. So she's starting to develop a little bit of edge. So I have nostalgic feelings about her being a little girl, but then how do I deal with it? The reason I think the parenting example is maybe one of, one of the best is because if you live in the past as a parent, then you are n neglecting being present you can't worry too much about what has gone by in the past because there's still this job to do in the present. When I feel nostalgic about my daughter, I just try to um, do the best I can in the current phase of her life that she's in. And so I would extend that to the other examples of, you know, the, the people who've gone or, or my siblings or my friends who've just gone and changed. I guess you have to you have to be available uh, to the friends that you have at the moment. My answer, and it's it's not a very brilliant answer, although it's an answer that's easy to ignore. My solution to this nostalgia is to try to be present, and I think that's the obvious solution. But it's also the obviously ignored solution. Yeah, thanks. That's yeah, that's uh, very good. A very good. Um information for parents too because I do know parents who are like oh I miss those days when she was younger or whatever and and then you go yeah but as they grow and they become a new person especially when they're young and and you're getting to know their personality it's really exciting looking into the future um, perhaps we look back at the past because that's the only thing you can look back at with some sort of longing because there's a familiarity maybe it's it, we we know what has happened and so uh it's easy to deal with in the future can be kind of scary sometimes maybe it's interesting it, i i hadn't really contemplated all this before uh we scheduled this topic so it's um i don't have the answers either as someone who just sat down and had a, a adult drink with his son for the first time poured him a shot you know because he's 21. as someone who I I found myself working very hard to be present, not to think of him as, as you know, a, a child, but to say, no, you're an adult. You can just, I can, you can do what you want. Let's have a shot, right? Um, to not think of him as someone who needs my instructions um, about how to drive a car. He's driven 
you know, himself tens of thousands of miles. He's earned his, his, his rights to be a driver. He's a good driver. And so I think that what you were saying about just being present and, and remembering to be present, you know, I think I used to have that problem, but I think I found myself this time not having that problem and being present wasn't a problem. And that made things great. I feel like that was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't reminiscent of a time when he needed my instructions about how to drive. I, I felt good about him being a secure driver, or I need to worry about him, you know, doing the right thing, you know, knowing the difference between right and wrong. I could just pour him a drink because, you know, I, I don't need to be reminiscent of that or nostalgic about that. I'm glad to be here in the now and to have made it this far. And I think that was really wise what you said. Yeah, thanks. And and I know, Victoria, you want to move on to another person. I'll, I'll, I maybe want to make one last remark about this, um, if that's all right. Um, what we, if Absolutely, we pay, yeah. If we pay attention, what we notice about nostalgic memories and the sort of bittersweetness of them is we often are saying, why didn't I enjoy it at the time? You know, that's often what we're saying about those memories. So, you know, there is kind of the answer is, you know, be present and enjoy the things that might be passing by right now. So uh, literally anytime I'm nostalgic about, you know, the good times that are gone, I'm always asking, why wasn't I enjoying it in the present at, at the time? You know, so I really do think the solution is to be present. So, yeah. Um, that is that is kind of tough, T, you know, um, the kids are grown up and, you know, you can't really pretend like they're completely innocent anymore. But in my opinion, um, they're going to lose the innocence either way. But that's not a bad thing because innocence kind of has to make way for, for wisdom. Innocence doesn't mean they become jaded and broken. It could mean they blossom into a certain kind of wisdom, you know. And so the parent can be available for that happening. You know, well, Gasper, this was a, just an incredible start to this, and um, there'll be lots of time. I'm hoping that other people will uh, build on that as well, and and we can talk more loosely when we've gone gone through both episodes. But um, T, I mean, your son Harvest uh, was at last week's show, and what an absolute um, pleasure that was, and what a joy and. Um, as we all noticed, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with that one. And so I'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed that moment. And, uh, you know, it's like the start of a new relationship with a new adult, right? You've had a relationship with a teenager and with a toddler and all of that. And now you get to have this new relationship with your adult son. It's really beautiful. And, and thank you for sharing part of that with us last week. That was great. Yeah, it certainly felt like that. Um, like, like you know, I was sort of meeting somebody new for the first time who was still the same person, and yet, you know, I, I get to treat them differently. And it, it felt good. It felt good to, like, you know, just sort of let go of that and just, you know, listen to him. He's the one who brought up, you know, flat lines on the sprawl. And I went, wow, okay. That was that was really impressive and talking about Pygmalia and all that stuff. And yeah, so I, I was I, I was, you know, very much had my eyes opened and was glad to be present for it. Yeah, you two made a very good tag team. <laughs> so, so that was good. I, I hope he's able to show up again soon as well. 
Uh, good morning, Joshua. Welcome to the stage and welcome to the stage, Christy and Steve. Joshua, I'll put the question to you. Uh, what is something for which you feel nostalgic and how do you lift yourself, if you do, out of the sadness or the yearning for that time? That's an interesting question because especially given what Gaspar just talked about, um, you know, being mindful and being present, um, I actually have reminiscences occasionally about my childhood where uh, my parents would say, hey, you know, we need to have a little family time. Let's all, you know, gather around the television Right? It was very 1980s, 1990s sort of culture. Let's gather around the television. And I remember being dragged out of my hole uh, to come into the living room and spend family time to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. No lie. And, you know, my parents making us just watch that together, um, not because of the importance of the show itself necessarily, but the importance of sharing the experience. And I think back on that time, like you said, sort of bittersweet because I do wish I had been more present and enjoyed that time. And I have conflicting emotions about it because in some way it makes me feel like I missed an opportunity to be more present with my family. But also I can take away that bitterness and just remember that we did have those sweet moments together and uh, funny enough, it was usually Star Trek The Next Generation, um, and I'm only just uh, remembering that. So I can have those memories and not feel uh, wistful that I should have spent them better, but rather remember that we did have that time together and that it was a nice bonding moment. And it made, even though as a teenager, I was, you know, no, I want to stay in my room and do my own thing and sort of forced to come out. In retrospect, they are nice memories, and I'm glad that I have them. That's great. I'm really happy that uh, this show uh, prompted those memories. I feel like the only thing I want to say right now, given what, what the three of you have shared so far, is I sometimes say this to my friends. I'll stop because I'll be so in the moment with my friends, and I know that we're just doing what we always do, whether it's a, the same group of people going out for dinner or when we had have house parties and stuff before COVID. And I would just stop everybody and say, these are the good old days, by the way. And they'd be like, what? And I'm like, we're living the good old days. Like, I'm just happy to be here, right? And um, I didn't really know things about mindfulness and presence and stuff at the time, I guess maybe back in my head, the back of my head I did. But I feel like that right now. I feel like when we're doing this show sometimes and how we're all sharing these sort of intimate um, moments of our lives, that this is the good old days and I just want to be present for it. So thank you, everybody, for sharing so far. Um, these are the good old days that we're in right now. Steve, what is something for which you feel nostalgic? And if you do lift yourself out of it, how do you lift yourself out of the sadness or yearning for that time? Well, that's interesting because um, I have a lot of things that give me a sense of nostalgia, but um, I don't find myself uh, feeling sad at all. I feel euphoric when I think about them. Um, I don't need to repeat them. Um, I do like the thought of being able to bring them back, but it just gives me more motivation to want to um, um, tribute them in some way, right? So yeah, it never makes me sad to think nostalgia. I only... I only feel a euphoric reaction to hearing of nostalgia, even if it's not my own. That's awesome. 
Uh, well, thank you, Steve. Boat, welcome to the stage. How about you? What is something for which you feel nostalgic? And how do you lift yourself out of the sadness or the yearning for that time, if indeed you do so? Hmm. Well, first of all, I really enjoyed everyone um, talking about the relationship with nostalgia. Um, uh, this is a, a, a topic that um, I feel very connected to because I'm the kind of person who I've realized, um, or really have known for a long time, actually, that I actually... I kind of live in a, in a, in a state of ever present kind of feelings of nostalgia. Um, I don't know why, uh, I've just existed in this kind of state, uh, my whole life, or at least as long as I can remember. Um, uh, therapy has not, uh, revealed exactly why I, uh, kind of indulge in thinking about the past in relationship to my present life in any given moment. I was recently asked, and this is where it became really kind of apparent in physical or kind of material terms in terms of my life, when I was asked recently by someone uh, what um, my movies were about. And as I started to talk about each one, you know, in, in their kind of discrete kind of terms, I realized that actually they're the same film. <laughs> And then I had this realization that I've been making the same movie my whole life, and it's and every single one of them is kind of nostalgic in nature. Like the premise of the movies are steeped in the concept of nostalgia. Um, my first one was about an assassin who goes back to his high school reunion, and he's about he's someone who is completely disconnected from his present reality, emotionally and even morally, and then has to kind of confront what it means to you know be alive by virtue of going back into his past. My next movie was about someone so steeped in music that he didn't know how to lift himself into his present, but he only, and there's a famous line that's not my line, is actually from the book it was adapted from, uh, What Came First, The Music or the Memory, which was all about like how you, you know, kind of place yourself in reality in any given time while kind of, you know, experiencing your life through your past love of, you know, songs and music, etc. And then my next movie was about guys who literally go back in time uh, to when they're in high school to relive a past in order to, you know, to kind of remake their past because they're unhappy in the present. So they, they, they feel like it, they once they are through, you know, hilarious means go back in time uh, to, just, you know, to try and, you know, whatever, remake their past in order to ensure a happier future, of course, find that not only was the past not exactly how they remember it, um, but kind of all things happen. It's not only how they remember it, they knew, they learn new things about themselves in, the, in terms of who they were in the past, and then uh, kind of reset themselves back in the present happier because they realize that whatever version of the past they, they live in, they have to kind of accept who they are as people and kind of go on you know, living, you know, with that in mind and without regret and with love of the past and nostalgia and, and, and you know, be proud of who they were or, or ashamed of who they were in any given moment, but like understanding that's kind of the fullness of life and move on, et cetera. So I sadly or weirdly have always existed in this state of nostalgia. So it's amazing that you guys are talking about this in a room that, that you're letting me drone on about. But what I found, and, and it's really, everyone's been kind of saying this, is that the sadness is the beautiful uh, quality um, of nostalgia that you realize that you're only, I mean, in my view, you're only having the feelings of nostalgia because you're experiencing the kind of fullness of existence 
right? It is that which the nostalgia forces you to understand or not understand, forces you to experience uh, your, the fullness of your life because you have a past. You have memories that are both probably accurate and inaccurate about, you know, what you've experienced in life. And it's that very thing, I think, that that um, is the proof that you're, you know, alive and that your life is and that your life is full and meaningful and worth living. So that's my crazy take on, on nostalgia. Thanks, Boat. That is awesome. And, and you know, as soon as you said you've been making the same uh, movie over and over again, I, I thought, well, some of the greats have done that as well. Like, isn't that what um, Lucas is doing? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so you're a good company. Um, yeah. Wait, so was, <laughs> that a dig at, was that a dig at Star Wars? <laughs> no, no, I would never do that in a Star Trek room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> But thank you for that share, because I think that you're right. As I've worked my way through thinking about this deeply, I realized I was like, why aren't I lifting myself out of this sadness? And I think it's because that's where I belong in that moment. And and it is appreciating a, a full life. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at things a lot differently now. Uh, not only my own contemplation, but even just after the last hour of being here with you guys has made me think differently and um, certainly a lot more gentle about the whole thing. Uh, so thank you, everybody. T, did you have some comments? Yes, um, definitely Evil Dead got made three times and it was better every time so i don't see a problem with just you know making the same movie over and over again keep it up thanks i don't think i have a choice i've actually just written one to be made this summer and that's why it came up in the first place someone was asking me what the movie was about and in the middle of it it's like oh jesus i've been saying making the same movie over and over again i'm about to make another one but i guess i just have to be okay with it i am okay with it um sometimes i yearn to make other kinds of things and i've written other kinds of things but i've just found myself writing things that you know the best things that I've, I've found that i've written you know contain nostalgia at its core and and it and it it's that's it's a little upsetting because sometimes as an artist one thinks that you know you have a broad spectrum of skill sets that would allow me to tell like many different kinds of stories and maybe i can but damn it if i uh, I still, I still haven't managed to in some way. So I guess I have to accept that. And I have more and more as, I, as, I, as I've continued to do this. Well, so I guess if we look at those as you examined them, you can see the similarities. Um, and you can say that you're telling a, a, a same or similar story over and over again. Um, but I think artists have a particular story to tell or a particular style. And I think about how many sunflower paintings Van Gogh made. <laughs> Right. And uh, nobody's complaining that he made dozens of, of sunflower paintings. Just consider that you're making another sunflower painting, maybe. Another masterpiece that we look forward to. <laughs> that was the greatest compliment I've ever received, even kind of even tangentially being associated with Van, with Van Gogh. So I, so I appreciate that. Actually, you made my whole day. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the club on Clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today we are discussing nostalgia.
But before we move on to trials and tribulations, T, can you tell us what we have coming up for next week's podcast and watch party? Yes. Um, coming up, we have on Sunday, April the 16th, Expectations versus Reality, starting with Booby Trap from The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 6, first aired on the 30th of October, 1989, in which, while investigating a thousand-year-old alien derelict, the Enterprise gets caught in a booby trap, and Geordi LaForge has to consult with a holographic version of the Warp Core designer, a brilliant and beautiful scientist named Leia Brahms, followed by Galaxy's Child from The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 16, which first aired on the 11th of March, 1991, in which Geordi LaForge encounters the real Leia Brahms and now has to navigate how reality is different than his expectations. Let's move on to Trials and Tribulations. Can you provide a summary of this episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what happened? And then I have a question for you. Yes. Trials and Tribulations from Deep Space Nine, Season 5, Episode 6, first aired on the 4th of November, 1996. In this episode, Temporal Investigations arrives on Deep Space Nine, and Cisco recounts how he and the crew of the Defiant traveled back in time to the 23rd century to prevent the assassination of Captain James T. Kirk during the original Enterprise's mission to Space Station K-7. I chose this episode because Tribbles and because it makes amazing use of the remastered original series, seamlessly integrating the two crews into what feels like an episode right out of the original series. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My, my, the first note I have is I just want to give a shout out to the editing team of this episode. For anybody who's listening or here who hasn't seen this episode, you must see this episode. The blending of the TV show from the 60s with one from the 1990s so seamlessly was incredible. My husband saw this and he was like, how do they do that? It looks like they're right there because he had seen the original with us last season. It it blew my mind every time the crew blended. It was really well done. Uh, and given that it was done in the 90s too. The uniforms were amazing and spot on, uh, as were the hairstyles. Uh, and I just thought, oh my God, Bashir's hair killed me. I thought, no, they don't really look like that. Like it looks like it's a, a caricature. But then you see the the hairstyles from the actual episode that was happening in the 60s. And you go, nope, that's how they wore their hair. It also looked like the crew were having fun. And then the crew, the actual characters from Deep Space Nine, appeared to be quite starstruck when they saw Kirk and Spock, right, going back in time. So my question for you, T, and the crew, because I know they'll need to contemplate this a little bit, is uh, if you could be a character on any episode of Star Trek, or for those who haven't seen Star Trek, on another television episode, which episode would you choose, and what would be your role in that episode's storyline? Um, I would have to be Spock on just about any episode in which the humans steal the... Um, 
the Klingon uh, cloaking technology. Because as a as a as a science officer, like I just pick, you know, I don't know, Star Trek for the voyage home or something and just be, you know, get an opportunity to just wave my tricorder at that um, at that thing. I would want to to unlock its secrets. I would want to map its internals. I would want to break it down. I would want to, you know, figure out exactly how it was that worked and and just, you know, just just to have Spock's intelligence and, and knowledge and to be able to like get my hands on that. I always felt like they like he wasted an opportunity every single time he got anywhere near one of those things to 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 do that. So I I would definitely, you know, be him on in Star Trek 4 and uh get my tricorder out post haste because um, that cloaking technology uh, ended up being, you know, the the solution to to ending a lot of wars in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, he he just he missed a trick by not by not getting that down. Very good. Okay, so you've just um, put a twist in my question, and perhaps it's because I didn't um, write the question clearly in my mind and there's nothing wrong with this because now it opens it up for everybody else to take it both ways you've chosen an already written character and i was thinking about the deep space nine people and how they went back and pretended to be certain crew members in order to fit in and i thought oh what how would i make up a new character that would be in an episode so I'm going to leave this open for us to have fun and go like, what episode would you be in? And would you be a new character that you think is missing or that you'd want to be that's never been written? Or, or would you want to be the character that's already been there? So, um, so that's great. I'm, I'm delighted that we have these options for the crew. So, and again, there's a few people who might not know Star Trek as much as uh, the rest. So if, if you don't want to do Star Trek, you can do uh, any other sort of popular TV show or something if you want. Let's move to Joshua. Joshua, if you could be a character on any episode of Star Trek or another show, which episode would you choose? And what would be your role in the episode, either a new character or a character that was already written? Well, I can't claim to be creative enough to have, write my own character's story, but um, I do have two things that come to mind. Uh, first of all, um, everybody would love, I would think, to be James T. Kirk and have the opportunity in Wrath of Khan to just yell, Khan! I think everyone would love that moment just once. But... Um, I remember as a child, actually, um, the episode I associated with a character like most um, is, um, I, I don't know the name of it, but there's an episode where they're in some kind of asteroid field and, the, you know, despite Data's best efforts and despite the computer, there's just no way they can navigate this AI field or this uh, asteroid field and um, they try to simulate it and there's, you know, something bizarre, like a one in a thousand chance they can get through. And finally they're like, well, we'll just have to pilot the ship manually. And I believe it's Jordy is like, fine, I'll do it. And he, you know, manages to resolve the problem and get the crew through. And I remember as a kid who was a gamer feeling like, oh, I could do that. 
that's me. I am I am that guy right there. I could save everybody with my video game skills. So hundred percent. That that's my moment right there. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Thank you for that. Steve, you love creating new stories. So would you be an already written character in an episode of Star Trek, or would you make up a new character? And what episode would you want to go back into? I'd have to go with a, a new character, or at least a, a, a slant on a new character. Um, I would definitely want the story, the story to more or less involve me like going to that like time traveling or or maybe like just as if the character uh of me is is like going to a different universe uh to to find themselves inside this this um you know nostalgic <laughs> uh story that they're familiar with it's actually an old uh, uh cartoon i recall that kind of had that sort of basis where a guy who was a fantasy a fan of fantasy stories and novels he found himself suddenly waking waking up as a dragon in one of his the universe that he he had uh been been uh so in love with let's see as far as episode to go back to you know, I guess the ones that I'm most passionate about are the ones that involve uh, like Data and his his uh, creator, right? His creator, uh, you'll see like I think in the first uh, episode where he shows up, he describes that he created Data um, and like later uh, his brother as not not that he created his brother, but like later he mentioned he, he tells him about his brother and he created both of them based on. Isaac Asimov's uh, Three Laws of Robotics, which uh, I find uh, un, uh, oddly not mentioned often enough with the, the, the new AI technology that we're all um, just just head over heel, heels for right now. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel like at least when it comes to Star Trek, there there's definitely nostalgia for me, um, but all of it was so tied into the the um the philosophy i think if anything feels nostalgic to me uh, about this series it's it's more uh the the uh the intro music um to like just about all the great ones right um i feel like that that if anything really plays the nostalgic factor for me not so much like just going to a specific episode that i obsess over yeah, that's a really great point because um, when we are in the the watch parties and we always let the credits, the, the opening title sequence roll through, many of us, especially if it's, uh, well, I think maybe only if it's the next generation, we all get excited for that music. Like it just does something to us. And we talked about that a little bit last year when we had our our topic of music and we'll probably have to revisit that a little bit this year because um music can spark that feeling of nostalgia instantly so yeah that's a really good point boat i know you haven't seen as much star trek as some of us here and we'll rectify that soon but if you could be a character on any episode of star trek or another television show which episode would you choose and what would be your role in that storyline or episode it's actually really easy for me 
um, any series, any episode, passing in the hallway guy. Like, and that could that goes for any TV show or movie. Like, I've always loved the idea of just like three, two, one, pass the heroes in the hallway. Like, act like you're like whatever, commiserating with someone over a file or something as you pass by. Like, that's absolutely the character I want to play. Because I'm like, hey, good luck getting us out of this time loop or good luck fighting and defeating the Borg or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely be, like, passing in the hallway guy. And then I guess if you followed hallway guy, maybe I'm, like, you know, a cook in the galley, you know? Like, I'm, like, two up over easy for Spock. Burn the potatoes. Like, I just feel like that's who I identify with uh, most uh, for any series, uh, any episode. That is awesome. And you are going to be so jealous of me because I've been in one movie and I was running down the street girl with a bunch of people running down the street. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the best. I've the been best. that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are people who make a living at that. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. Passing in the hallway guy. Wonderful. Excellent. How about you, Lasha? If you could be a character on any episode of Star Trek, which episode would you choose and what would be your role in that episode? I'm so glad that I went last because first off, hello everyone. And I'm just going to let you know, yesterday was my birthday and I'm so happy that I'm here for this show because this is one of the things that really makes me happy um, when I'm here on this app. Um, so just shout out and kudos to y'all for like really creating quality and quality stuff here for us to dive into. I'm so happy that I went last because it took me a while to kind of create and think about the different juxtapositions of the characters that I would like to be in Star Trek because for a long time, the only character that ever kind of really looked like me was, was Ahara. Um, and then when Deep Space, not Deep Space, but I, I grew up watching Next Generation, I was a TNG girl. So I grew up watching Whoopi Goldberg playing on fucking, and I just, I couldn't stand her. Um, Deanna Troy was, Deanna Troy and Tasha Yar were always some of my favorites. Um, I love the way that Deanna, that they, oh, they dressed her so well. Her body was always great. Um, and then Tasha Yar was just the badass. And I just, I loved her character. Um, I've always been a fan of Uhura. And up until recently, my favorite characters and the ones that I'd like to be a cross between is um, Michael um, from the newest um, version of, of Star Trek, uh, Michael Burnham, uh, and the newest version of Uhura in Enterprise. If I could find a way to merge them with Deanna Troy's body, <laughs> probably like just have um, the best time ever. But if I was going to be a character in that episode, I would be that version of the newest version of Uhura with Spock in the second, ep I think it was the second episode. And I think we all watched it together um, where the, the query response engagement, that was so hot. I have never seen anything like that before, and I had always tried to re try to figure out how Uhura and Spock kind of got together. Anyway, seeing them in, in movies together um, in a relationship, 
So I think that that is it. For me, I'm really kind of pedestrian, I should say, with it because I just never really had any good representations of what blackness in in Star Trek universe really looked like. And I think I should be happy about that because one of the things um, Star Trek has always done, at least for me, is really like not make people feel othered or centered around their blackness or anything like that. I do appreciate recently the multitude of characters that have been of color and and all of the the spectrum in between. There's been so much diversity in the casting of the newest shows. If you've watched um, the the newest uh, the newest um, spinoffs, it's been amazing. But yeah, short answer: <laughs> Ohora with a cross between Burnham and a little bit of Deanna Troy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's funny when you can't choose and you just want to blend all the different uh, aspects of these people to, together. T, any thoughts before we move on? I think that, you know, Lasha really nailed it in terms of representation. And I'm just, I'm so glad to hear these stories about being able to see myself in as, as these characters and, and see, you know, me. Because I remember identifying, you know, not necessarily with a, with a colored character, but with data and having people not or, or not or having him not understand people's emotions or not understanding him and seeing myself in in that. So I feel like for me, that was me finding myself in that character in the same way, you know, that you saw yourself in Uhura or, or Guinan. Um, and I think that that's just that's one of the most beautiful parts of Star Trek. I really love that you said that about Data because I've always felt that way about Data and Spock and all those kind of offbeat characters, Wesley Crusher, you know, all of those kind of oddish. I've always been really attracted to men who were out of the ordinary, kind of Crispin Glover-ish. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen with them and they seemed kind of cold. And so I'm glad you said that because most people are like, I want to be, I want to be Kirk, you know, and I fucking hate Kirk. <laughs> I'm not a fan, you know, I like Pike better. I like, you know, I'm not the cowboy, you know, type. And so I love that you said that. That's really, um, I didn't even think about it until you said it, but those were the, the ones that I really gravitated towards with Spock and Data and, and Wesley, um, as far as my um, love interests were concerned. Thanks, guys. Abdul, welcome to the stage and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. The question we have out today on the topic of nostalgia, right now we're talking about if you could be a character in any episode of Star Trek, which episode would you choose and what would be your role in that episode? So would you like to answer that question? Oh, this is... um. This is a very difficult um, question to answer because I thought... Uh, okay, first of all, thank you so much for having Star Trek Sundays. Um, I, uh, as a... Um, I don't know if the word Trekkie is um, outmoded uh, now, but um, I, I truly uh, enjoy that there's faces uh, to discuss Star Trek. I'm hard-pressed to, to come up with an episode that I would go back to because it's... This is one of those things like choosing choosing your children. I I don't know. I probably would would have to go back um, somewhere that 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 there would be an episode somewhere within Star Trek: The Next Generation. I would um I would probably be a character that 
that normally does not show up in Star uh, normally does not show up on the Enterprise. And um, it would be a, it would be an episode where the Enterprise is on shore leave, and um, it, it would probably um, start with with me. And I, I don't know what my character's name would be, um, but I'll be some kind of eccentric um, black scientist, uh, and I would be somewhere in um, somewhere in Antwerp, Belgium, and uh, you know it would be the cold open of the of the episode, and. Uh, you know, in in my scene, you will see uh, lots lots of interesting uh, devices um, that are biomedical uh, in um, in nature. The next uh, thing that you will see uh, in front of me are an array of uh, of things, uh, array of devices um, that look like they may go on the face, and um, you would hear some kind of antiquated bell uh, indicating that somebody has entered through the door, and what you will see is Jordi LaForge. You know, the, the music swells, like, oh my God, it's Jordi LaForge. And the next thing you know, we're sitting down and I am basically berating him for making such terrible choices in terms of his eyewear. And, uh, you know, we can kind of go through the various options, you know, in visor technology. And in fact, if anything, we would talk about, you know, like new prosthetics and, and that kind of thing. As, as a blind and visually impaired person, as somebody who previously had sight and now does not have sight, I thought that that visor uh, thing that he wore was absolutely ridiculous. I, I just, I, I just think it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, so that would be me. That, 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 would, that would be something I would do. I know it does not fit the frame of the question was asked because I just I just can't choose an episode to go to. Thank you. That is perfect. That is an awesome answer. Uh, thank you for that. It was so specific. I mean, that's just great. I could picture all of that so well in my head. You you made a great description. So, thank you for that. Yeah, can I steal that idea? Because honestly, that that really uh, tickles my engineer side to want to see through Jordy's eyes. <laughs> Specifically. I love that. Specifically, the scene where where Jordy LaForge enters. I mean, that's the big reveal. For me, that's that's where you sold me. I was like, okay, shut up and take my money because I want to watch this. Yeah, that was a terrific, terrific intro. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the club on Clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today we were discussing nostalgia. Thank you to everyone who has participated in the show and to our listening supporters. Please join us next week for Expectations versus Reality. We hope you have a great week. Live long and prosper.